Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. Today, the Cato Institute, in conjunction with the Fraser Institute in Canada, released the Economic Freedom of the World 2006 Annual Report. New research for this report shows that economic freedom can help lift nations out of poverty and that foreign aid and democracy are significantly less effective in building peace and prosperity. Director of the Project on Global Economic Liberty, Ian Vasquez, discusses the new report in today's podcast. What are some of the most crucial factors that contribute to economic freedom? Countries have economic freedom when their economies have a great degree of personal choice, when they're characterized by voluntary exchange and the freedom to compete, and when there's protection of persons and property. To the extent that uh, countries have those ingredients, they're economically free. To the extent that they have more of those, they're more economically free, and uh, most countries have a mixed record. The project to measure economic freedom around the world is an attempt precisely to measure those ingredients, and the authors of the report look at five basic areas, the size of government, the rule of law, access to sound money, freedom to exchange with foreigners and the regulation of business and credit and so on. And they look at 38 different variables. In this year's report, we're looking at 130 countries around the world, going back to the extent possible to 1970. This is a project that the Fraser Institute began in the 1980s, and we began publishing this report in 1996 in conjunction with the Fraser Institute and think tanks around the world. And the beauty of this report is that it provides for the first time a systematic way of measuring economic freedom and how it's related to other outcomes like economic growth and prosperity. It used to be that economists, going all the way back to Adam Smith, would say that you want free trade because that's what leads to prosperity. Milton Friedman, for many years, was comparing Hong Kong to China, West Germany to East Germany. But many people, including many economists, would dismiss that as casual observation. So the importance of this report is that it's just empirical evidence that is very difficult to dismiss. And what it finds is that countries that are more economically free are much more prosperous and also tend to grow faster. Going beyond that, it has served as a research tool for all sorts of economists at the World Bank, at the IMF, at universities and elsewhere, who try to establish the relationship between economic freedom and all sorts of other factors. And what we found, and we've produced this in the report as well, is that economic freedom, in fact, is strongly related to the whole range of human development indicators, so that people living in the freest economies also tend to live a lot longer. Longevity is, is a benefit of economic freedom, 20 years longer than the top quartile of economies compared to the least free economies. Economic freedom is strongly related to less corruption. More economic freedom means less corruption. More economic freedom means less infant mortality rates, more access to safe drinking water, less incidence of the black market, and so on and so on. These are very important findings because it shows that economic freedom is unambiguously good for the poor. And one of the implications of this work is that a country's progress depends almost entirely on domestic policies and institutions. This is good news for countries that want to take control of their own destiny. And what is the state of the economic freedom of the world? Economic freedom in the world doesn't change very much from one year to the next. But if you take a look at the past 25 or so years, there's been a dramatic increase in economic freedom in the world. 
on a scale of 1 to 10, it's increased from 5.1 to 6.5. And this is largely due to the collapse of central planning beginning in the 1980s. So there's been a tremendous increase in economic freedom around the world, with some regions doing better than others. Africa is the least free region in the world. Latin America increased its economic freedom in the 1990s, but for the past five or six years, it's been stagnating in terms of economic freedom. Central Europe and the Baltic states are really a success story. Those countries, since the fall of communism, have increased their economic freedom and, consequently, their growth rates, which are higher than the growth rates in Western Europe, so that those countries are on a path of convergence with the rich countries in Europe. We also see the economic giants of China and India, which I consider success stories, even though on the index of economic freedom, they're still not very close to being free. China is in the bottom half of the list. What those two countries show, and they've been having very high growth rates in the case of China, 9% for decades, is that when you take very poor countries that are also very repressed and move in the direction of economic freedom by introducing some liberalizations, you can get a lot of growth for a long time and lift a lot of people out of poverty. And that's exactly what's going on in that part of the world. They have to continue those reforms. But this report shows that in order for there to be growth, a country doesn't have to turn into Hong Kong right away. It can move in the direction of economic freedom and get quite a bit of high growth. And that is the advantage of underdevelopment today. Poor countries can do within one generation or less what it took rich countries 50 or more years to do. What is your reaction to passionate calls for more foreign aid from the wealthier nations to the poorer nations? Well, most international organizations like the United Nations, when they call for action to help the poor around the world, rarely focus on economic freedom. The current call right now is to double foreign aid flows to Africa and then the rest of the poor world, which would be a massive increase. Yet they rarely cite empirical evidence for why this would work. In fact, most of the academic literature on the record of aid is a very poor record, that it has not promoted growth and in some cases certainly harmed growth. I would argue that that's certainly the case in Africa, which is poorer today than when it began receiving massive aid decades ago. One of the chapters in this year's Economic Freedom Report is by William Easterly of New York University, who is one of the leading development economists. And he uses the economic freedom data to look at its relationship to economic growth and finds, in fact, that there is a positive and a strong relationship to growth and that when you control for that, he finds, just as we've seen in, in the real world, that countries that have more economic freedom compared to their level of income tend to do better in terms of growth and poverty reduction than other countries that don't have economic freedom. And this rejects the poverty trap hypothesis that Jeffrey Sachs and the United Nations have been promoting in order to justify foreign aid. In fact, countries don't do well precisely because they don't have good policies and institutions. He also tests for the impact of aid on growth and confirms using this data that aid does not have a positive impact on growth. He actually finds a slightly negative impact, but is cautious about having too strong of a conclusion. What can be said is that aid does not help promote growth. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.